It's time for the second hour of Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelman, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. We're talking about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. My name is Michael Rydelnik. I'm professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute, also the academic dean here. I'm coming to you live from the campus of Moody Bible Institute right here in Chicago. If you have a question about the Bible, God, or the spiritual life, give me a call. The phone number is 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. You can also Post your question by going to openlineradio.org. Click on the link that says Ask Michael a Question. Fill out the form, and Trisha McMillan will add your question to a future mailbag. Before we get back to the phones, uh, let me tell you about our current resource. Wouldn't you like to take OpenLine home with you and get answers when you want them? Well, you can do that now with my book, 50 Most Important Bible Questions. One of our listeners actually wrote in and says, it's just as though I'm back at the radio kitchen table with Michael, Tricia, and Eva. Taking the most frequently asked questions and also some of the questions that are most significant that people have asked, I tried my best to give easy-to-understand answers for everyone, from the seeker to the mature follower of Jesus. 50 most important Bible questions can be yours when you give a gift of any size to OpenLine. doesn't matter the size, just grateful for your gift, and we'll send you a copy. Um, all you have to do is call, just to say thank you, that's why we're sending you the book, uh, call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. That's where you can give your gift. And remember, when you give, ask for 50 Most Important Bible Questions. And we're going to speak right now with Julie in Franksville, Wisconsin, listening to WMBI online. Glad you're listening, Julie. How can I help you? Thanks for taking my call. In our small group, we're studying Romans. Mm -hmm. And according to Romans 11, the Jewish people alive when Christ returns will recognize Jesus as their Messiah and have the opportunity to repent and receive him. Since in many places in the Bible, we understand that individuals have opportunities to accept Jesus as their Savior until Christ returns, the question came up, um, isn't it too late when Christ returns? So if you can explain this about the Jewish nation, that'd be fantastic. Well, first of all, everyone has an opportunity, even Jewish people today— Uh, They have the opportunity to believe. In fact, Paul says at the beginning of Romans 11 that there's a remnant today according to God's gracious choice. A remnant is a small part of the whole. So, uh, for example, I am part of that remnant as a Jewish follower of Jesus, uh, the small part of the whole of Israel that believes. So I'm I'm sure you're aware of that as well. Uh, But I think the misunderstanding is... It's not that Jesus, the Lord Jesus returns and then the Jewish people believe. The key to the Lord Jesus' actual return is that the Jewish people will believe before he returns. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, in Matthew 23, uh, verse 37, this is the lament of the Messiah Jesus over his people. 
He says, how often they didn't believe and how often I wanted to gather your children together. This is verse 37. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you were not willing. That's the, for the most part, Jewish people have not believed. See, he says, your house is left to you desolate. That means the temple is going to be destroyed. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Then he says, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say. So they will see him again, but they won't see him again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is the Hebrew term. It's, uh, in Hebrew, it's baruch haba'ah b'shem adonai. It means, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but it is the term for welcome. It's like, we welcome you. We want you. And so what the Lord Jesus is saying is, you won't see me again until you welcome me back. And what will happen as I read the end of days parts of the scripture, there's going to be tremendous pressure on the Jewish people. Both Zechariah 12 and Zechariah 14 talk about all the nations gathering against Jerusalem. And uh, that's going to happen in the campaign of Armageddon, and they will start in the valley of Jezreel and muster there and make their way to Jerusalem, the nations, and they will besiege Jerusalem, and there will be a terrible time during the tribulation, of terrible time of persecution of the Jewish people, and when it looks like there's no hope whatsoever, the Jewish leadership is finally going to turn in faith to Jesus as the Messiah to call upon him to save them. And the nation will follow the leadership. I'm not, I'm not sure every last one, but for the most part, the, the overwhelming majority, the 99% will believe with them. And it says in Zechariah 12.10 that that's when the Messiah will return and they will look upon the one who was pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. There'll be mourning of repentance when the Jewish people uh, call for him to return. And then he will deliver them. And it says at that point in Romans 11, and then all Israel will be saved. So the point of it is the faith comes before the return of the Messiah. And that's when he delivers them. And that's why it says all Israel will be saved. It's not that Jesus returns and they recognize him as the Messiah and then they believe. It's they believe he returns and then he saves them. Okay? Wow. Thank you. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. It's something to pray. But by the way, never forget what Paul says in that same passage when he talks about the future for the Jewish people, he talks about the present as well. The present, there's a remnant. And as part yeah. of that remnant, yeah. he's, he says, how does how's God win that remnant? In verse 11, he says, salvation has come to the Gentiles. One of God's purposes in saving Gentiles is to make the Jewish people jealous, to to bring to make them to to give you you Gentiles is what he's saying, what be, rightfully belongs to the Jewish people, so that they would want it back. That's yes, we had, we had quite a discussion about that section too. Yeah, yeah, we've got we've got to have a loving, uh, uh, contagious relationship with our Jewish friends and neighbors. Uh, thanks, Julie. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to speak with Bruce in Moline, Illinois, listening on WDLM. Welcome to Open Line, Bruce. How can I help you? 
Uh, good morning, Dr. Ronelnik. It's good to hear from you again. Uh, thank you that uh, you came to our prophecy conference in October in the Quad Cities. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and I, I just got a quick question here this morning on Mark 16, uh, verses uh, seven, 16 and 17. Um, this uh, this passage uh, is included, I think, exclusively to Mark, uh, but it talks about um, the signs for um, those who uh, signs that will accompany those who believe, as it says at the beginning of verse 17. In my name, they will cast out demons, speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Um, is that applicable? Are all of those signs applicable for believers today? What do you think, Bruce? Well, I think uh, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Uh, but but but. Um, so you're not you're not, I, you're not picking be... up snakes at your services. No, no. Okay. <laughs> uh, only during the conferences. Okay, but, or, um, no. or drinking poison, uh, not trying to drink poison, no. test this. I try, trying to stay away from the poison these days. Okay, well, that's um, good. And that, that can that's be really good. a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. And, uh, well, a couple things I might say about it. I think that, that the, the first and most important aspect of this is, now, what version of the Bible do you read? A Holman Christian Standard. Yeah. Well, if you look at your Holman Christian Standard at verse 9, there's a bracket. And it actually says uh, that uh, uh, that the—it uh, that's it starts at the bracket, and then uh, at the end, in verse 20, the closing of the bracket, uh, it says, uh, footnote B, B as in boy, uh, other manuscripts omit bracketed text. Well, let me just tell you that the best earliest bra- uh, uh, manuscripts that we have of the New Testament do not include verses 9 through 20. Uh, the only reason the HCSB kept it in there, I know that the general editor did not believe it was actually part of the New Testament, but he kept it in because of tradition but they bracketed it to make it really clear that this is not part of the original text of the Bible. It is because of tradition in the King James Version, but it is not part of the Bible. I don't worry too much about those verses because uh, I don't think they're part of the Bible. But nevertheless, I would say if they were part of the Bible, it would only be referring to the ministry of the apostles uh, in the in the. But I, I just don't think it really was. I don't think that, Paul did get uh, bit by a viper, but it wasn't like he intentionally picked up a snake. We have no example of them uh, drinking poison to uh, to show their. It's it's just not ex- at all what we would expect. So, okay. The most practical seems to be the laying hands of the sick and that they would recover, and that that has huge implications for hospitals, uh, everything. Yeah. Well, the thing the is, so that... you know, Paul did lay hands on the sick and they did recover, but that, that didn't always happen. He said that, uh, uh, Trophimus, he left sick in Miletus. So, uh, you know, he didn't always have everyone recover. And, uh, nevertheless, uh, this is taken by some as 
a guarantee that if you pray for someone, they will recover. Like God is in a bind and he must listen to us. I don't think God is ever in a bind. God, I, I believe in a sovereign, all-powerful God who can heal, which is why I pray for healing. But I never think that God has to listen to me. He may say no. He may have a different part of the plan, you know? So, Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Bruce, for your call. We're going to take a break here. We come back. We've got lots of questions lined up uh, to talk with you about the Bible, God, or the spiritual life. This program is called Open Line. My name is Michael Wright Helnick, and we'll be talking with you about your Bible questions in just a moment. So stay right there. More questions coming up straight ahead right here on Open Line. Welcome back to Open Line. Here I am on the break laughing with Tricia about her jokes. She's, she's always telling me funny stuff. That's it. So anyway, sorry about being a little late on the entry there because I'm blaming Tricia. So <laughs> people will uh, come up to me often and they will say that they are regular listeners to Open Line. Uh, I think it's because they like hearing Tricia. I, I like it especially when Trisha's on the air with me and I get her to laugh because she's got such a contagious laugh. Uh, they like it especially, I, I hear this all the time, when Eva is on the program. I'm really grateful for that. Uh, I'm grateful for every one of you who listens. And some of you say you're your kitchen table partners when you meet us, and uh, that means you give to Open Line every month so I can teach the Bible every week. Thanks for doing that. If you're listening to Open Line and it's been a help in your walk with the Lord, maybe you'd consider becoming a kitchen table partner too. Uh, or maybe you were a kitchen table partner and it's lapsed and you would like to start up again. That would be greatly appreciated. And when you do, uh, oh, I thought of another thing. Maybe you've given occasionally to receive our current resource. Uh, but now you think, I'd like to make that a, a monthly habit. If you would, we really appreciate it because it really helps us. Uh, as we plan and stay on the to stay on the air and and teach people the Bible, uh, if you do, I'll send you and if you decide to become a kitchen table partner, I'll send you an audio Bible study every other week. It's designed exclusively for our kitchen table partners, and you'll find it in your email email every other week. If you'd like to become a kitchen table partner, call eight 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 six four four seven one two two or go to Open Line Radio. Dot org. And we're going to speak with Laura in South Carolina, listening online. Welcome to Open Line, Laura. How can I help you? Hi. Good morning, Dr. Rydelnik. Um, I was studying my Sunday school lesson for tomorrow, and the quote is, the crucifixion, which Satan thought to be his crowning moment, was his crushing blow. I have heard that type thing. I mean, it's been in songs. I've heard preachers say it. Where is the scripture for that? <laughs> I don't know. I, you never heard me say it, did you? No, but I have heard them say that, you know, when Jesus was crucified, that, that all hell had a big party and Satan and everything thought, you know, oh, you know, he's, it's, you know, God is defeated, blah, blah, blah. Where is that in yeah. Scripture? Uh, I, you know, I really don't know. I, I think of more than anything else, I, I think of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is not Scripture. Uh, when Aslan is uh, humiliated and his mane is cut and, and he's killed at the stone table, all the 
the the demons and wicked beasts and everything like that. They're celebrating with the White Witch. Uh, but so I think it's a pretty uh, traditional understanding uh, that Lewis has put into that book. But you know, I don't know any verse that actually says that. I mean, obviously, uh, you, you start with Genesis three fifteen that Satan or the serpent, actually, but it's talking about the power behind the serpent, that uh, the Messiah will crush him on the head, but uh, the serpent will, or the the enemy will crush him on the heel. So, uh, but the the big party, the big celebration, I, I don't know any place in Scripture. You know, I invite, if you're listening and you know a verse that teaches that, just let me know, because I'm it's not, none of them are coming to mind in my head. Uh, okay, Laura? Yeah, well... Yes, and people will, they'll say that, you know, all the instances where the Pharisees and whatever had sent people after Jesus and, you know, he got away from them and they were determined to kill him and all this stuff, and they'll talk about that, but then in the, you know, when Easter comes, they say, yeah, Satan thought he'd be, I'm like, well, why? Why would he have tried to kill him all those times before he got to? Well, obviously, uh, Satan would have... Satan would have loved to have uh, killed him. Otherwise, he wouldn't tempt him to jump off the pinnacle of the temple, right? That's right, because yeah. he, he wanted him yeah. want him to get to Calvary. Yeah. But so I, I just but I don't. I just got really aggravated about that and wanted yeah. to ask you. Yeah, I don't. I don't know really about that. It makes maybe it's a logical conclusion that Satan really didn't believe that God had the power to raise him from the dead and thought that was his great victory. I don't know. Uh, I'm anxious. If anyone knows a better verse uh, that teaches that great celebration in the demonic world, I'd uh, I'd welcome to hear it. I, I certainly could learn from that. I'd appreciate it. So anyway, but thank you, Laura, for your question and for your call. Uh, we're going to talk with. Carrie in Calhoun, Georgia, listening on WMBW. Uh, welcome to Open Line, Carrie. How can I help you? Thank you. Thank you. Um, I've been trying to read my Bible through this year, and um, last week I was in Judges, Judges 19, uh, where it talks about the Levite and his concubine, and um, it really struck me as just that is a very brutal <laughs> story, and so I started to to research on it. And I I saw two theories, one that, you know, like it, it, it did happen, and then another that said it was a metaphor and that possibly it didn't happen. So my question is uh, two parts, I guess. One, did it happen? And then two, when he, um, after she experienced that horrible traumatic event and says that uh, in verse 29, he took a knife and cut her body into 12 pieces, I guess for the 12 tribes of Israel, what was going on with the with the Benjamites, the, ben, the tribe of Benjamin? Well, this is certainly one of the most brutal, terrible stories that you can read about in the Bible. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, uh, let's see, uh, I'm actually kind of surprised that anyone says that this should be taken metaphorically. Uh, I just want to be really clear. You did not read that in the Moody Bible commentary, right? I did not, no, no. Did you, did you read what the Moody Bible commentary has to say about it? Um, to some degree I did. Yeah. Uh, and then I, and then I wanted to look and see, and see more, um, of, of what, you know, 
people had to say about it because it it mm-hmm. kind of disturbed me a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. that's just what happened to this to this woman. And I know back then women were not, you know, considered much. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah. yeah. Uh, th- this is. I mean, when I read it, it says here's things. Uh, I'm looking at the, and I'm going to tell you what I think about this passage, uh, that this behavior here is terribly shocking. It's reported here not merely for shock value, but to demonstrate God's basis for the judgment that's about to fall. Uh, and then it says, uh, her desecrated corpse cut into 12 pieces served to summon the tribes to civil war. The disgusting climax of this episode led to an attack by the rest of the tribes of Israel and the men of Benjamin. Uh, yeah. Obviously, it is not taken as a good thing, even in the Moody Bible commentary. And in fact, what the commentary points out, and this is what I would say when I uh, look at the book of Judges, what happens in the book of Judges is that through chapter 16, it is pretty much chronological. But then in chapter 17 through 21, you have two epilogues that are not in chronological order. They're taken from an earlier time in the book of Judges to show how bad the spiritual condition of Israel came to be, uh, that they were just like Sodom, and it deals, first of all, in chapters 17 and 18 with the idolatry in the tribe of Dan, and then in chapter 19 and following the perversion that came to the tribe of, of Benjamin. And so what you have is, of course, who, what is the, the city that embodies the greatest rebellion, uh, moral corruption, and terrible behavior of any city? And that is Sodom. And these, mm-hmm. two, these two epilogues, these two... Uh, closing stories are designed to show that Israel had become like Sodom, and oh. that uh, that uh, the people with the law of God had broken it terribly, and that uh, that's why it says there was no king in Israel at that time. Therefore, mm-hmm. each man did what was right in his own eyes, and it, obviously, it could have said each man did what was wrong because they didn't follow God's law. So right. that's that's what it's about. So it did it did happen. And then with the Benjamites, like, um, this may be a silly question, but are they around today? I mean, because they had to go back through and and produce more more children. Yeah, they, they weren't completely the... wiped out. There were always Benjamites afterwards, because, you know, the Apostle Paul said, what tribe? He says, I'm an Israelite of the tribe of... Benjamin. Benjamin. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the tribe of Benjamin continued. And today we don't know what tribes Jewish people are from. We just know some are from descended from priests, some are from Levites. And uh, so we know who's from the tribe of Levi. But everyone mm-hmm. else, we don't know. But you know who knows? God knows. So he's, yes. go- he's going to, uh, in the tribulation period, he's going to select 12,000 from each tribe and uh, they're going to be the great servants of the Lord during the tribulation. Uh, they're going to come to faith in Jesus and proclaim him uh, during the tribulation period. So, uh, yeah, Thank God, you so God much. knows. Hey, thanks for your question, Carrie. Really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to speak uh, next with 
Ed in Florida. Uh, welcome to Open Light, Ed. How can I help you? Hi. I was wondering uh, if there's any substantial evidence that's not left to interpretation with regard to when Jesus qualified um, the, re- the uh, possibility of divorce when he was talking with those group of men. And uh, because in, in, one, in one of the passages, there is no qualifying, and another one says um, un, uh, unfaithful. Well, is there evidence that uh, unfaithful means anything other than sexual unfaithfulness? Would it also mean um, abandonment? Um, spouse just walks away from the marriage, and the other spouse is left with um, the the, the with exception clause that you read about in Matthew five and Matthew nineteen uh, is the word porneia, except for cause of immorality. Uh, and the word porneia, immorality, is a very broad term. Uh, it refers to any kind of sexual impurity, uh, not just adultery. So uh, it's a very broad term for sexual immorality. Uh, that is a just cause for divorce. Is that what your question was, Ed? Yeah. Um, of course, there's, there's a, a lot of folks who interpret, I mean, biblical scholars who would say that that um, that it does extend to a situation where, I mean, there are all kinds of situations. Well, there are there are other places that the scriptures speak to it, uh, but in terms of what the Lord Jesus said, it's just immorality. Uh, there's other places the scriptures speak to other issues. We'll be right back with more of your questions with the mailbag in a moment. Stay right there. Welcome back to Open Line. I'm Michael Rydelnik, and joining me in just a moment is Trisha McMillan. She's got the questions you've sent in. People sometimes say to me, I was just in Florida, and they said, boy, I'd love to take a course with you, and I wish they could too. Of course, people can't just move to Chicago. Some people, you know, if you're college age, what a great idea. Come to Chicago, study at Moody. But, you know, you can study at Moody without ever coming to Chicago. Uh, you can take undergraduate or graduate courses. All you can... All the courses are available. Every one of us teaches our courses in what is called a hybrid fashion. That means we have students in the classroom and students joining through the Internet. And there's a student I had just a few years younger than I. She retired from her job, and she decided to go back to school. And uh, I never – I've seen her on screen but I never met her until graduation, never met her in person until graduation. She took all her courses uh, through the Internet, amazingly, watching the class from the Internet. You can do that too. Check out moody.edu and become a student at Moody Bible Institute without ever leaving your home. And joining me now is Trisha with the mailbag. Hey, Trisha, you've got questions. I know you do. I do. Because some of the questions people sent in, you have questions about too, right? I do. I do. Sometimes, you know, every once in a while, I've heard you even say this, where it's like, I've never read that verse before. Yeah. That's what I felt like. I, I know I have read this passage before, but I read the verse and I said, oh, I I don't know. I don't know either. What? Yeah. <laughs> and so, so the first question is from a listener who wrote us on Facebook about Luke 7, Verse 38, Mm -hmm. which says, um, I'm going to read the English Standard Version. 
um, it's talking about the woman who comes to, I believe, Simon's house, um, and Jesus is eating, and it says that he reclined um, at the meal, and then it says, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And so this listener wants to know, how does a woman stand behind him at his feet? Um, I tried to picture this. I'm like, wait, especially if he's laying down, uh, how do you, what do, mm. how do, what does that look like? I, and I, yeah. I must admit, I was pulling myself a little crazy because I couldn't figure yeah. it out. <laughs> so it says uh, he was reclining at a table. I don't think it necessarily means that he was laying down. I think it may be leaning one of the ways that they would eat to sh- uh, in the first century free people would be to recline, lean over towards the left. Okay. Uh, so kind of on their side yeah, kind yeah. of thing? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and she was probably standing behind him, behind his feet. Okay. So uh, down toward his feet then yeah. if he's on his side. Yeah. Okay. And okay. then uh, she's so moved, she begins to weep. It, it actually uh, says, it's very meticulous. She stood behind him at his feet and weeping and then began to wash his feet, which implies that she moved around towards his feet and began to wash his feet. Uh, It doesn't mean that she stood behind him the whole time. And the tears are falling down onto him on the ground. Okay. So now... you said it was hard to imagine her. It was. And and what I kept thinking was one of the... One of the um, uh, Bible study tips that you have shared over the years is read it with the plain sense. And if yeah. the plain sense, no, if yeah, the, if the oh, plain sense makes, makes sense, sense seek, seek no, no other sense, sense, lest it be nonsense. Yeah. But I was like, but the plain sense doesn't make sense. So what is happening? That's the point. If the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. But okay. if the plain sense doesn't make sense, then we have to think, okay, what, obviously Luke's not making stuff up here. So what did he mean? And it's clear that he meant she was standing there, she began to weep, and then she began to wash his feet and had to move to do that. So uh, it it doesn't make sense for her to be standing rigidly, not moving. Right. And if he's laying on his side, as opposed to, I hear recline, and I think laying on your back. Yeah, instead of leaning over. Yeah, instead of leaning on your side. So, okay, so kind of thinking through how people operate and what could be happening. Okay. Thank you for that question. Thank you for that answer. To help us get beyond the plain sense yeah. when we need to. When the plain sense doesn't make sense, then, then you know. <laughs> then we seek other sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. Our next uh, I'll give you a g- yeah. great example. Yeah. Genesis 3.15. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the serpent is talking, right, in Genesis 3. And then the, the uh, curse comes that the, mis- the, the, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, cr- crush his head. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the plain sense... It doesn't make sense that serpents talk. Right. So it leads us to the conclusion that there's a power behind the serpent opening its mouth. Obviously not God, right? Right. And so uh, then we have to say, okay, the serpent's talking. The enemy opened its mouth. So who's the one that has his head crushed? Is it serpent or is it the, the enemy the who enemy, opened it? It's the enemy. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, Rhonda in Tennessee listens to WMBW. Mm-hmm. Can a non-Jewish Christian place a mezuzah on their doorpost? She uh, says, I just returned from Israel and purchased several of these for my friends. Yeah, so now... So maybe explain what a mezuzah is. Yeah, uh, it's in Deuteronomy 6. Bind these words about 
hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Uh, all those uh, uh, words are to be bound on the doorposts of your house, is what okay. it says. So this is a little bo- a little wooden yeah. um, uh, rectangular piece of wood. It's sometimes metal. Or metal. You know, or sometimes gold. You know, you just never know what So is it an use. empty box that then no, the words are inside? Uh, well, first of all, let me just say, I don't believe that Moses intended for that to be taken literally. It meant take these words with you when you go in and out of your house. Find okay. them on your arm and on your uh, on your hand and on your head and on your heart. But not tattooing them necessarily. Yeah, yeah just, it but means metaphorically them. keep them in your head and your heart and, and, and your actions and your arm and your hand. So, but what happened is the rabbis took all these commandments literally, and so they started the tradition of praying every morning in phylacteries where you put a box on your head and you bind one on your arm and your hand, uh, and it's got the words of Deuteronomy 6 inside the boxes, and you bind them on yourself. Also, they took the word mezuzah, in Hebrew it means doorpost, and they made little boxes, and they put these scriptures inside the boxes, and they bind them on the doorposts of their houses. I have one on every door in my house. Uh, outside doors? Outside and inside and doors. And inside, so just yeah. door jams yeah, in between exactly. rooms. Uh, I, I don't do it because I think I'm commanded to do it. I think it's a great reminder everywhere I go uh, to take God's word with me and, and seek to obey it. Uh, and uh, I, I have one on the, I think I'm the only faculty member at Moody Bible Institute with a mezuzah on his office door post. Okay. Uh, and I, I put scripture in it, uh, very, very small in Hebrew from Deuteronomy six, right in there. It's in the box and then, uh, put on the doorposts. Uh, I think it's perfectly fine. As long as you're not thinking I must do this to get, you know, uh, to, to please God. Yeah. It doesn't win you brownie points or anything. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's a great reminder for me. I try and remember everywhere I go to be obedient to God's word when I come in, when I go out. Uh, wherever I go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she could give these to her friends and not have to worry that yeah. she's doing anything wrong. No, it's great. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Rhonda, for yeah. that question. Ray wrote us on Facebook and says, what do you think about healing? We talked about healing earlier with a caller. What do you think about healing as it is in James 5? Does that apply today? Do you believe in it and practice it? Well, I believe, let me just say what I believe in, not related to James 5. I believe that God is a God of power. He can heal. If we pray, uh, he will sometimes heal. Uh, I don't think we ever can put him over the barrel and require it. I used to believe about James 5 that uh, this is referring to a sickness that is derived from an illness that's derived from some sort of sin. You know, it talks about in 1 Corinthians 11 that some of you are taking the Lord's Supper unworthily, and therefore some of you have died and some of you are sick, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, it does appear that the Lord can be causing someone to, it seems to be to the point of death with sickness uh, for sin. And so when the person wants to repent, they call for the elders, they lay hands on them. The person themselves know that the healing is because of illness, uh, and the elders lay hands on them and anoint them with oil, and they're raised up. Now, 
one of the things I would say about that is so often healing services, it's not the person calling for the elders. What is it? It's the healer calling for the people to come forward. It's the opposite of what this passage says. And it says the prayer of faith, the prayer of the elders, their faith raises the person up. So often when someone isn't healed, the healer will say, oh, you lacked faith. It's the opposite in this mm. passage. Uh, so, but I, I have changed my view a little bit. And uh, the reason is, I've read an article in the past, but uh, it's mentioned here that uh, the, in the Moody Commentary, the elders will restore, uh, deliver the one who is sick. And the word komno for sick is used in Hebrews 12.3 for growing weary, not for physical disease. And, uh, and so this has to do with spiritual and uh, moral restoration of someone who I believe is emotionally or, or not physically, but emotionally sick because of sin in their life. And so I don't think it's necessarily talking about uh, a physical healing, but spiritual healing when the person comes to a place of repentance. So uh, if the passage, the Moody commentary says, if the passage deals with a spiritual healing rather than a physical healing, it seems like the faith of the weak believer has some role in his deliverance, but it is also the faith of the elders. So that's what I think the answer is. And, okay. Uh, so I, but I do believe in praying for the physically sick. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I don't think that's what James 5 is talking about. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that question, Ray. Yep. And thank you for that answer. Yeah. I guess we're going to take a break. Yes. Yep. yep. The, Trisha, those are good questions. Thanks yeah. for pulling them. You're Thanks welcome. for sending them in, everyone. Remember, you can always send your question to openlineradio.org. Just go there and there's a place that says Ask Michael a Question. Click on that and uh, then you can post your question. Trish will put it in the mailbag for a future program. We're going to be right back with more of your questions in just a moment, so don't go away. This is Open Line with Michael Radonik and Trisha McMillan. Stay right there. Welcome back to Open Line. I'm Michael Ray Helnick. Some frequent questions I get on Open Line is, how should we think about the Jewish people? What does it mean that God chose the Jewish people? Uh, are the Jewish people still chosen? What's their future? Well, one of our underwriters, Chosen People Ministries, an organization that brings the good news of Jesus to Jewish people all around the world, wants to help answer those kinds of questions. They're offering a biblically-based free book called Israel, the Jewish People, and Jesus. It explains God's promises to the Jewish people and what they mean today. It really will help us understand the Jewish people, pray for the Jewish people, and also help us bring the good news to the Jewish people ourselves. For your copy of Israel, the Jewish people, and Jesus, go to the Open Line website. That's our website, openlineradio.org. Scroll down. You'll see a link that says, A Free Gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that. You'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your very own copy of Israel, the Jewish people, and Jesus. Uh, we're going to speak with Grace in Rathdrum, Idaho, listening on the internet. Welcome to Open Line, Grace. How can I help you? Grace, are you there? 
okay, we're going to see if Grace is around someplace. Maybe she uh, decided to not listen for a minute. Uh, Leo in Venice, Florida, uh, listening to WKZM. How can I help you? Uh, I thank you for taking my call. Uh, it's priceless to me. Uh, I have a, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and uh, I have a good friend. There's two types of people, uh, people that have a great knowledge of the Word of God, and then people uh, that know Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, he goes forth. Uh, listen, Leo, uh, listen, Leo, just... Try and, and ask a question, if you can, if that's okay. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, does it, uh, uh, let's say I, I go to your home and I'm going to preach the gospel. Uh, does the individual have to have a knowledge of the Bible uh, to receive the gospel? That is my question. Okay, great. Well, here's the thing. Uh, faith requires... Uh, three aspects to faith. There's a inte- intellectual or mental aspect to it. There's certain content that we must know. Uh, second, uh, uh, there's a conviction aspect, a heart, a- an emotional aspect. We have to be convinced it's true, uh, the gospel. And then thirdly, we have to have a volitional aspect. Our wills must decide to trust in Jesus. So there is a content aspect, and of course some of the content that we would present comes from Scripture. But God's never going to give anyone a Bible entrance exam to enter uh, into his presence. It's not that. There isn't a Bible entrance exam. It's not going to say, well, did you go to Bible college? Did you go to church? Did you go to Bible study? Here's what a person, in order to trust in Jesus— Okay. Uh, first of all, they need. To, we all need to know we do things wrong, and it offends God. That's called sin. We need to know that we do things wrong, but that Jesus died to take the punishment for our sins. He was raised again, and all we have to do is trust in Him. That's what we have to do. That's our response: trust in His substitution for us, and the fact that He's alive, so He can give us life. So. Uh, that's what we need to know. And then people study the Bible because they know Jesus and they want to know more about him. Uh, so uh, what do we need to know? We need to know that we're separated from God because we do things wrong. But Jesus died to pay the punishment, take the punishment that we deserved, and he was raised again so he can give us forgiveness in life. And therefore, uh, we have to trust in him. That's it. That's the message. And if you're listening now and you think, wait, I thought I needed to be a Bible expert. I needed to be a theologian. I needed to know more and more and more. All you need to know, you already know. Uh, If you're listening, you've never put your trust in Jesus. Now's the time to do it. Trust in Jesus because he died taking the punishment that we deserved, that you deserved, and he was raised again. All you have to do is believe that, and uh, he will forgive our sins. We'll become his forever friends. Uh, forever. We'll spend eternity with him. Well, I hope that helps, Leo, and uh, thanks for your question. We're going to talk with Grace next in Rathdrum, Idaho. Welcome to Open Line, Grace. How can I help you? Um, my, um, my question might be a little offensive. Just don't, 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 the, don't worry about it. Just go ahead and ask your question. 
Okay. When people stand before um, the white throne judgment and and they're not believers, can they not say, um, I didn't believe because I wasn't chosen? And and therefore, how can you hold this hold me accountable for not believing, right? That's right. It's like asking a blind person to describe the sunset. Okay, great. Great question. You know, I wondered about that myself when I came to faith. Uh, and then I was reading the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, uh, Paul's talking about God's choice. And he says it doesn't depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. Uh he shows mercy to those he wants to. He hardens those he wants to harden. And then there's always this unseen objector in the book of Romans, and Paul cites him here. He says, you'll say to me, therefore, why then does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? How can God hold exactly. people accountable? That's the question you're asking, is it not so? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the answer... Paul gives the answer right here, and none of us are going to like it. I got so excited the first time I read this. I'm going to uh, know, now I'll know the answer, and here it is. Ready? But who are you, a mere man, to talk back to God? Will what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? In other words, Paul says that is not the kind of question we should ask because God is sovereign. And we are the, he's the creator, we're the creation. The creation does not challenge the one who made it. And therefore, uh, I, I like to think of this as, as the uh, being from Brooklyn. Hey, don't talk back to God. That's the point of it. Uh, sometimes I think we don't fully comprehend the, the, the splendor, the majesty the sovereignty of God. And that's what Paul says the answer is. God is sovereign. Don't talk back to God. I hope that helps you, Grace. Uh, That's the program for the week. Thanks for listening, everyone, especially those of you who called in, you sent in questions. Thanks for making Open Line possible. Always thanks to the Chicago crew, Trisha McMillan, uh, Courtney Young, and Charles Coletta for making it happen today. Thanks so much for what you do. Keep in touch with Open Line during the week. Check out our website, openlineradio.org. It's got all sorts of links you'll like, how to get our current resource, how to become a kitchen table partner. Uh, All those things are right there on the website. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. See you next week.